Thank you very much, Nick. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's wonderful to be back down here to share the word with you. I had a great time sharing with the Sunday School over the past three weeks. And a big thank you to Henry, to Pastor John, and to Jono, who shared the word with us over the past three weeks. It was a great blessing and a great encouragement for us as a church. And I pray that there will be more than just words. Um, I do want one thing um, for you guys to consider and to pray about. Please pray for Brad, Grace, and Terry. They are three people that are wanting to get baptized. And so we've been doing some um, baptism classes over the past few weeks. And we're looking to be baptized, to actually baptize them, do the whole dunking of them in early January next year. So please pray for them as they prepare their hearts and their, and their minds, as well as they look to invite people who don't know Jesus that can, see the re, that can see the reality of Jesus in each of their lives as they make this public declaration of what has happened within themselves internally by Jesus Christ as they demonstrate that externally as well. Now, today is the last day of the 21 days of prayer. 21 days that I hope doesn't end with 21 days. That it moves on from this, uh, as Pam shared last week, as some others have shared at prayer meeting this week. What I liked about the 21 days was a few things. One was having a practical tool to write down in that helped focus my mind it helped sort of get me centered spiritually and it helped me just to 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 come to the lord in that spirit of of worship of worship of spirit and in truth that's what i really sort of benefited in, in that side of it the other side of it that i really enjoyed was having somebody praying for me that i knew was actually praying for me specifically not only that, but also that I had someone to pray for and pray for them specifically as well. To go through that journey of 21 days with a prayer partner was a great blessing to me. In this case, it was Tommy, and, and, and I thank God for Tommy Lee, who took the initiative and he said, Joe, we should meet up. And so every Wednesday morning during the 21 days, we would meet upstairs. Well, the, two, the first two weeks, we'd meet upstairs at 7 o'clock and we would pray. We would talk we would share, we would express who we're praying for, why we're praying for them, praying with our own needs. And one of the great things that I was really blessed by with Tommy, and he doesn't know I'm sharing this, so Tommy, that's okay? I got his permission just now, okay? Um, one of the things I'm really blessed with by Tommy, and I was sharing this with a sister, is that his openness and vulnerability to share with me the struggles that he was going through. And in so doing, it helped me open up and share and be vulnerable as well with him. And, and as we shared, we, we prayed honestly for each other in the situations and in the circumstances that we experienced. And that was one of the greatest, like, I think one of the, the greatest blessings. And just because the 21 days is finished, I don't think that should stop. I don't think that openness and that vulnerability, I don't think, oh, well, yeah, that's my partner done, boom. I don't think that the prayer points he's made known to me should end at 21 days, but continue. And that as I continue to invest into him and how God is growing him and his relationship with Jesus, that he in turn does the same for me. And that, that we in turn can incorporate other people within this, or you in turn can incorporate other people as we seek God together in prayer. As we see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so today we look at, I guess you could say, the, the final text 
of this 21 days of prayer in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And what I really like about this passage, once again, is the themes that Paul communicates, the truths that he shares, and prayerfully we can draw from this some wonderful lessons that we can not only know, but apply, that we can actually live out and take practical actions. I like doing that step thing, eh? And take practical actions to have movement in those places. Uh, as one brother put it, to put feet to our prayers, to put feet to our prayers. Now, just to put things in a bit of context for you, Second Thessalonians, oh, actually, the Thessalonian church, we had a study on Thursday night, and I asked them, what do you know about the Thessalonian church? What I like about the Thessalonian church is one, and Nick made this comment, that it's a model of what a church is to be like. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul refers to them as a model, the model church. But what's of note is that in Acts 17, we are given an account that Paul only got to spend three, we three weeks in Thessalonica. Three weeks before he was driven out. Three weeks before he had to move on. So he got to plant this church and then three weeks later had to leave. Now you might sit there and think, oh wow, that's not much time to get a church established. Well, if a church responds to the gospel, knows the word of God, relies on the spirit of God, there's no limit to what God can do. And so even in that three weeks, God created in this group of believers a model church. Such is the power of God. So Paul writes these two letters to encourage them, to instruct them, to teach them, to minister to them, to have them focused. And what he does in the second letter is re-emphasize these three themes that he talks about in the first letter. The themes of suffering. Yea, all those who live godly in Christ shall what? Suffer persecution. If you're gonna live along lines of what God calls you to live, then you're gonna suffer for it. So he addresses this theme, he says suffering. And he looks at work and the way you work and how you to work and, and the fact that your work is a provision from God and you honor God in the way you work as you shine as a light in your specific context. And then he looks at this theme of end times. The end times that we're actually in right now. The end times as we look to the Lord's return. The end times when we see how nowadays good is being called evil and evil is being called good. And we have these exhortations like in 1 Thessalonians 12 when Paul says to the Thessalonian church to walk worthy, to live in a manner that's appropriate, to walk worthy of the Lord who has called you into his kingdom and glory, the New King James says. And then he re-emphasizes that same thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15 when he says to stand firm and to hold fast to stand firm and to hold fast to the teachings that have been passed on to them, whether by word of mouth or by letter. This is why when we look at today's text in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, we see a text that actually has a slightly different focus than the last two texts we've looked at from Pastor John last week as he shared from 2 Corinthians and Jono who shared the week before when he shared from Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at this perspective regarding prayer. And as, as we look at this, I've titled this, this passage this morning, Prayer 
the faithfulness of God's provision. The faithfulness of God's provision. And I'll explain why as we go through this. So if you want to bow your heads, let's open in a word of prayer and seek our God this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the examples that have been laid out before us, not only through the apostles, but even in each other's lives. We thank you that your word is living and active and that your spirit is alive and powerful in each of our lives, even now. We ask as we open up your word today that you will minister to our hearts, that you will help us to do all distractions and focus on you and on you alone. Please teach us. Please help us. Please change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, read with me from verses 1 to 5. As for other matters, let me just stop there very, I'm sorry to cut you off right there. We, we've got how many words? We've got four words in there. I cut you off. Remember what I'm talking about? These themes that he's looked at. So he's talked about the instruction. He's looked at work. He's looked at suffering. He's looked at end times. Then he comes along here and he says this, carrying on. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, uh, that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Now, I want to start off just looking at those first few words of verse 1. He says, he says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us. I want you to focus on that. Pray for us. On day three of the devotional that uh, we had, the 21 days of prayer, our brother Bill wrote this, and he made a really good point. He says this, quote, we do not need others' approval to pray for them. They do not have to answer to us before we can pray for them, which is a valid point. I don't need to ask my sister Judy and say, Judy, can I please pray for you? I can, in the, the quietness of my own home, come before God and present my sister Judy to the Lord. I don't need to ask her permission for that. I don't need to ask to pray for Alyssa or to pray for Ben or to pray for Pastor John. This is the privilege that has been given to us in prayer. The fact that we can present everybody to the Lord as we seek his will in their lives as well as in, in our own. But on the other side of this truth is a reality that many of us, including myself, overlook. There's a truth that we overlook and a truth that I think the enemy wants us to ignore. And that is the faithfulness of God's provision through the prayer of the saints. We forget about the faithfulness of God's provision through the prayers of each other. Through the prayers of the saints. You see, the, t the strength of today's text is not that Paul is praying for the church, but that Paul is asking for prayer. He is asking for prayer for, his, for, for him and his team. 
And it's something that he did on a number of occasions. In Romans 15, 31, he says, pray that I may be. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says this, pray also for me. And in verse 20, he says, pray that I may. In Colossians 4, 4, he says, pray that I may. And in 1 Thessalonians, in the second half of verse 25, 525, he says, pray for us. Now, The reason why I want to focus on this is this. We have a tendency to present to everybody else around us that we have it all together. We have a tendency to be self-made men and women. We present to ourselves that we have no issues or that we have no problems. It's a facade. It's a facade. You guys know what a facade is? It's a mask. It's a fake. Everyone's wearing masks now. It's a mask that covers the reality. I'm looking at one right now with my sister Ellie that covers her lovely smile. It's a mask. She's wearing a black mask. Ooh, black mask. But she's wearing, sorry, sorry. But she's wearing a black mask that covers that lovely smile. It's a facade of the reality that's there. And here's the thing. We don't have it all together. You read in Romans chapter 7, what does Paul write? Paul writes about the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. He writes about his struggles. That's the reality. And yet all of us put the facade that we're the spiritual giants that have it all together. But what does Paul say? Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he goes, I thank God. And that's where it is. That's where it is. Regardless of the facade, the reality is what Christ can do with somebody like us in all our failings, in all our weaknesses. You see, this is something that I've come to appreciate more and more during the 21 days, that this blessing of prayer is available to anyone and everyone that is a child of God who trusts in Christ. Like I said, I sat upstairs with Tommy each week and we prayed for each other. And I knew, I knew that when he left, that when he left, that the request that I laid out for him to pray for, he would pray for. And then the next day he would send me a text, Joe, how can I pray for you? Or the day after, he'd send another text, I prayed for you in this. Then he'd go, Joe, how'd your day go? And vice versa. And we had this going on during the 21 days of prayer, which just gave me the support of knowing I can ask a brother for prayer and not be judged. I can ask a brother for prayer and know that he's in the journey with me. I can ask a brother for prayer and that we're walking along side by side. This is the privilege that has been bestowed upon, the, upon us in the moments of anxiety, in the moments of being overwhelmed, in the moments of pressure, in the moments of stress, to know that somebody is alongside me, that is praying alongside me. That was the greatest of comforts that helped me focus my whole life, my whole spiritual life on the person of Christ. And this is what I see in the example of Paul here. He's asking that God would continue to provide through the prayers of the saints for his circumstance, for his situation. How we have this privilege to pray, and I, I know Pastor John has shared this in the past, to pray the word of God into people's lives. Think about this. Last week, last week when we looked at how Christ is sufficient for us and how our strength is made perfect, we can pray that into our brother's and sister's life, that Christ's grace is sufficient for you, for his strength 
is made perfect in our weakness, that we can pray that into your lives, that in the week before when John spoke from Ephesians chapter one, we can pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better. We can pray that into each other's lives, that we can pray, even the week before that, when Henry was Henry Earl Simpson was preaching, that we can pray John 15, 12, to love each other as Christ loves us, that we can pray that, that we can pray the, the, the truth of Numbers 6, 25 and 26 that says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That we can pray that into each of our lives. That's what we've been given. And that we have the opportunity to pray this into people's lives. And then I can ask you for that. Pam, pray for me. And she can pray the word into my life to fight beside each other in prayer to fight on our knees, whether as a church, whether in our homes, whether corporately as a group, whether as individuals, whether in the car on, on the way to work, whether sitting on a train, that we can be before the presence of God and fight for each other. This is what the example is that Paul gives us here. And, and what's more is this, is that yes, yes, we don't have to ask this, but the point is we can the point is we should. The point is I can come to Nick and say to him, bro, I'm, I'm struggling. I feel inadequate. I feel like a failure. Bro, can you pray for me that I, my, my eyes, yes, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness, but I fail to see that truth. Can you pray for me to understand that, to, to live that, that I can ask that of people? Bob Bagley is a very godly man that I knew at New Tribes Mission. He was a missionary for a number of years and ended up joining the New Tribes Mission Bible College. When I found, they had what's called the mission barrel. Mission barrel was this, where people just, it's like a salvo. You just threw everything you didn't want and if you, you just went in. So you got, I got clothes, shoes. I remember Nathaniel, he was only like, what, three or four. He grabbed a pair of high heels for some reason, okay. There were kids high heels, but it was, it was really funny and watching him walk in them was hilarious. But, I picked up a Bible. There was a, there was a King James Bible, wide margin edition. I still have it now. I looked at it and it had owned by Bob Bagley. And I thought, oh, so I took it back to Bob. Bro, you left your Bible at Mission Barrel. He says, no, 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 if this can bless you, it can bless you. There was a quote in that Bible because it just quotes and Bible verses, which I really liked. One of the quotes was this. Extraordinary means are not to be expected when ordinary means are to be had. Extraordinary means are not to be expected when ordinary means are to be had. Now, he wrote this in Matthew chapter four during the temptation of Jesus Christ. And what has, what the, the whole issue was this. Jesus didn't defeat Satan as God. He defeated Satan as man. And how did he defeat Satan as man? By using the word of God. By using the means that were available to him as a man. By quoting the word and overcoming the enemy. Now, the reason why I like this regarding prayer is that so often we look at these big things that take place when the ordinary means available to us is asking my brothers and sisters to pray for me. The ordinary means available to us is I can go to my brother Simon and say, bro, can you pray? And that when we look at the ordinary means of coming to our brothers and sisters in prayer and asking for prayer, we see God do extraordinary things. The ordinary means is the fellowship of the saints. The ordinary means is our relationships to one another. 
Our ordinary means is spending time and investing into each other because God has blessed us with each other. That's the ordinary means, which means that we can, we can bring, as it says in Philippians 4, 6, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we can present each other's requests to God. That's the blessing that's been given to us. So the faithfulness of God's provision is found in the prayers of each other. That's what's been made available to us. That's the ordinary means by which God can do extraordinary things as we seek him in prayer. But as we look further to the text, I mean, it was only the first part of the verse, because what I like is what Paul does as what he, what he asks for in this prayer. Yes, the example of what he's doing, he's given us an example. Yes, we should ask for prayer. Regardless of our situation, ask for prayer. Lord, revive my soul. Lord, stir my heart. Lord, save that person. Lord, help me to minister. Lord, give me strength. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's what Paul prays for here, which I think is quite interesting in this context. And this is the faithfulness of God's provision by praying for God's involvement together. By praying for God's involvement together. Yes, the first part is yes, God's provision is made available in the prayers of the saints. But it's also made available in us praying together for the same thing. When you look at Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came down, the church was born. What was the, the defining factor of the church? They were of one mind. They were of one accord. They were united in prayer. And it was when they were united in prayer as a body that the Spirit came down and filled them that the church was birthed as they were combined together. And so it's important then for us that you, you, the unity of the saints, that we are praying for the same things, that we're praying in the same goal. So in Romans 15, 31, the request that Paul was making to the Roman church, he says that they would be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judah. In verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians chapter 6, his prayer request is that the words given him to proclaim will be done so fearlessly as they should be. And these are the same two requests that he makes for the Thessalonian church as well, which means this, Paul is asking the church to pray for him so that he might then fulfill his divine, divine, divine calling and purpose. He's asking them, help me to fulfill what I have been appointed for as an ambassador for the gospel. Because he prays, firstly, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. Now remember, Paul only spent three weeks with these new believers in a city of persecution. The gospel took root and it came to fruition in a time whereby they were not reliant upon Paul, they were not reliant upon his team, they were not reliant on any particular fads or programs or anything else, they were reliant upon God, reliant upon his word, and reliant upon the Holy Spirit to move them. Sometimes, sometimes the Lord allows things to take place in our lives to force us to evaluate where our focus and where our reliance really is. If the Thessalonian church or the Thessalonian believers were relying on Paul as the pillar that upholds the church, then when, the, when Paul left, the church would have fallen apart. If the church today is looking at a pastor as the source of their encouragement or as a leader uh, or at a song style 
or at a location or in another person as their motivation. If they're looking at these things or these people as their motivation to serve or to attend or to be in the church, then that church too will crumble under the failings of human ability. That's just the reality of it. That's what will happen. This prayer request, along with the others, challenges me as to what I am here for. Why I am here. You see, Paul's prayer request is directly connected to his ministry and to his divine purpose. I mean, think about this. And John made this evident on Wednesday night prayer meeting. If you had the chance to make the Wednesday night prayer meeting, I encourage you to come along. It's a great blessing. But I, John shared something on the Wednesday night prayer meeting, which was really interesting. And it was something that he learned from the journal. If I get this wrong, bro, come on up and you can correct everybody if you want. Okay. But he actually asked the question, like, how many times do I pray for my brothers and sisters to be enlightened with the truth of wisdom and revelation so they may know him better? How many times do I pray for the spreading of the gospel in a particular person's life? How often do I pray for various individuals and their spiritual relationship with Jesus? Because more often than not, our prayer requests consist of, and I'm not bagging on any of these prayer requests. Please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with asking these things, but how often are our prayer requests self-centered? Lord, please give me the promotion. Lord, please give me good health. Lord, please, um, I'm in debt. Please help me get out of my debts. Uh, uh, Lord, please, I need a new car. Please help with this. How, how many of our prayer requests are along just those temporal, physical things as opposed to, Lord, I pray that Alyssa would grow with the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. Lord, I pray that Jimmy will know you in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death. How many times do we pray for the, the spiritual growth and beneficial of the relationship that a person has with Jesus? How many times do we pray for the spreading of the gospel that it'll spread rapidly and that that word will be honored just as it was with others? How many times do we pray those things? How many times do I pray a word that's communicated by word or by deed that'll be honored and obeyed? Or in other words, impactful and understood by others and that they would respond accordingly. Full disclosure here, and I shared this on, on, uh, on Thursday night. Full disclosure. The amount of times that I've shared the gospel with people just so I can have a story to tell to others that I shared the gospel with other people. The amount of times I've put myself into circumstances just so I can sit there and say, yeah, I was persecuted for my faith because I told people, do you know God? And they tell me, shut up, get lost, you bald-headed freak, whatever it might be. How many times, but you know what I mean? How the motivation, how many times have I shared the gospel because it's a motivation, a self-motivation to make me feel better as opposed for their for the love of the saints, of, not for the love, for the love of the lost that Jesus has. See, when Jesus sees a lost person, that's someone that he loves. How many times have I looked at a person that he loves and saw it as a notch in my belt to mark off and say, yeah, that's somebody else I've reached out to. Now, has God used those things? Yes. Has people come to know Jesus through those things? Yes. I'm not limiting what God can do because God honors his word. It never returns to a void, but accomplishes that which he pleases. Okay. Please don't do that. But this is for me where God has revealed to me the selfish motivations for some of the things that I do and why I do them. To quote D.L. Moody, as you all know, one of my favorite authors, but D.L. Moody said this. He said, let love replace duty and the world will soon be evangelized. Let love replace duty 
and the world will soon be evangelized. Why? Because that gospel message which takes people from darkness to light, that gospel message which makes people a new creation in Christ, that gospel message that makes people that are dead in their trespasses sins, sins to be alive in Christ, that gospel message, when that happens and is honored, it transforms lives. It transforms communities. It transforms a church. And that's what we want to see. That message that all we like sheep have gone astray, each of us have gone to his own way, that there is a way that seems right to a man. When we look at the world today, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, that we all fall short of God's glory. And because of that, because of our sin, and because of that sin, we are deserving of death, being separated from God. That's, that's the first half of the message. That's the reality of what the state of the world is today. But the message of the Lord that is deserving of honor also comes that when we hear that, we see the message of the Lord that brings transformation. The message that states to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The message that says that God became a man to save us from our sin. The message that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The message that says that God commended his love toward us, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That message that that God raised him from the dead. That if I, if I believe in my heart and receive him into my heart, the message says the forgiveness of sin, redemption from captivity, deliverance from judgment is gained when one believes and receives the Lord Jesus Christ and that God then grants that person to be known as the son and daughter of God. That's the message that we need to pray for. That's the message that, yes, man is condemned, but God has overcome that condemnation. That man is deserving of judgment, but Jesus Christ took that judgment upon himself. That man, that man, as defiant and as selfish as he is, God is showing grace and compassion and mercy and invites them to come to him to pray that that message would spread. Not the ideologies of today, not the thoughts that man have or the misconceptions or the non-biblical non ideas that seem to hold sway, but that the gospel of Jesus Christ that is deserving of honor goes forth. That's the first thing he prays. He prays that that would happen. And the second thing he does is that he prays for deliverance. In the second half of the verse, it says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people for not everyone has faith. Have you noticed the increased opposition or antagonism toward you or toward the Bible or toward the things of God, uh, especially if you actually say and identify as a Bible-believing Christian? The amount of sneers, the amount of side-eye, you know, you know what side-eye is? My, my niece does this really well. We sort of like, the amount of side-eye that you get when you say you're a Christian and you get given the side-eye as well. That if you're a Christian that holds the view of sex being between a man and a woman within the confines of marriage, then you get the side eye. 
that you live a life in accordance with, with God's word and, and holding to the Ten Commandments as a standard of morality, then you get given the side eye. That you sit down and actually say, I'm going to church. I can't make it because I'm going to church on Sunday. I've got a Bible study on Wednesday night. I've got a prayer meeting. Okay? And then you get given the side eye. We get given the side eye all the time because we're considered to be fanatical, old-fashioned, narrow-minded, and bigoted. That's the way the world looks at us today. And what's crazy is just that those thoughts, those ideas, those things, they're not new. There is nothing new under the sun, we're told in the scriptures. And these views have been around for decades. These views have been around for, for eons because it's in direct opposition to who our God is. There's a guy by the name of Paul Kurtz. Paul Kurtz wrote the Human Manifesto, the second part. The Human Manifesto is basically, for want of a better description, it's like known as the Atheist Bible. And so Paul Kurtz writes the second one. And he writes this quote. Okay, he says, the traditional supernaturalistic moral commandments, so he's talking about the Ten Commandments, he's talking about the Word of God, he says that they are especially repressive of our human needs. You know what repressed means? It means it holds things back. They are immoral. So Paul Kurtz refers to these things as immoral, insofar that they foster illusions about human destiny and suppress our vital inclinations. When it says suppress our vital inclinations, it means like our specific desires, things that we want to do. So basically what he's saying is this. When the Bible says, you shall not steal, he says, well, that's a bad thing because it suppresses your desire. He says, you shall not murder. Well, that's a considered a bad thing because it's suppressing your desire. You shall not commit adultery. Well, no, that's, that's suppressing because it's holding back your, 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 your desires. So basically, if you look at each of the Ten Commandments, apparently they're viewed as bad because it's like, okay, if you do this, please don't. I'm, I'm not trying to dog on anybody. I'm not trying to get on anybody. But it's like when um, you, would, you would see your kids coloring in, and you have some kids, and some parents would say, color in the lines. And then people would say, that suppresses their creativity. Well, it also teaches them boundaries. You know, there, there are certain things. So, and, and so that, that's essentially what it is. Basically, Paul Kurtz and the Human manifest, Humanist Manifesto are saying, saying, you can live your life outside the lines. That's what he's saying here that our ideas are repressed. Now, the issue is, the issue is this, because Paul is praying that we might be delivered from such things. The issue is this, because this is the way the world is now. Human manifest, the Human Manifesto 2 was written in the 1970s. So we're in 2021. And if anything, it's gone so far that way, what then do we do now? What can we do about it now? And we deal with it the same way Paul did. What did Paul do? He prayed, and he asked the church to pray, and that we as the people of God will pray, and that we'll bring all of these issues before the God, before the God of, of hosts, and ask him, move. Ask him, help us to stand. Ask him that we might shine. Ask him in prayer and see what he does through his people in a world that is lost and in darkness, that we would be the light of the world in accordance with our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would shine as the city on the hill, that we won't cover the candle, that we will let this little light shine, that that would take place, that we will pray as Moses did when he left Pharaoh. If you read in Exodus 8, verses 30 and 31, that he, he just went and he asked the Lord, Pray as Samson did, even with everything that he did, even at his death, he prayed in Judges 16, 28, that God would give him what he needs in his greatest time of need. Pray as Hannah did in her time of great anguish and grief in 1 Samuel 1, 16. 
This is our God who, when we call to him, he answers us and he shows us great and mighty things that we do not know. Jeremiah 33.3. To him who hears our cries of mercy, who hears our cries of mercy and accepts our prayer. That's in Psalm 6 verse 9. Who inclines his ear to us and hears what we ask in Psalm 17, 6. Who responds to the prayers of the destitute, Psalm 102, 7. That's what we are to do in order to combat the opposition we face. The evil men, because there are many people who do not faith, have faith that we would pray. And that we would pray and combat the opposition we face in the world. Prayer that is then, and now please get this, prayer that is then accompanied with obedience. Prayer that is then accompanied with obedience. You can't live a certain way and expect things to happen. You can't lose weight if you're eating 12 meals a day. You can't get fit if all you do is sit there and play video games. You can't increase in holiness if you're sitting there and feeding on the world. You can't live a life of purity if all you surround yourself is that, with that, that which is unpure. You can't have a godly mind if all that you fill your mind with is Netflix. That's just the reality. I mean, we look at this. I mean, if we can look at our lives and think, okay, I, okay so I've, I've lost two kilos. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've lost two kilos. My, my daughter, I didn't ask my daughter this, but I'm going to share it anyway. So Emily, Emily, lost, Emily lost 10 kilos. Emily, I, I, I felt really bad in the sense that, like, she's in a wheelchair. She lost 10 kilos just by, like, she can walk on a treadmill when she's, so she walks on a treadmill, she rides her bike, and she eats well. She lost 10 kilos. Everybody in the house was like, we have no excuse. My disabled daughter has lost 10 kilos in three months, and I've taken 12 months to lose two. You know what I mean? So you can't expect one thing. And if we're going to look at this and think in, in a physical sense, that same principle applies spiritually. I'm not going to grow if I'm not spending time in the Word. I'm not going to grow if I'm not seeking God in prayer. I'm not going to grow if I'm not obeying what the challenges of God's Word are. I can talk about it as much as I like. Just, as much, just like I'm talking about how losing weight is. Look, the reality is evidence in what happens afterwards. So it has to be accompanied by obedience. So we have the provision the faithfulness of God's provision in the prayers of the saints. We have the faithfulness of God's provision as we pray together. And what I like in this last one is the faithfulness of God's provision because he's our loving father, because of his direct involvement with us. This is not a third point for the sake of having a third point and just so I can sort of have some sort of alliteration or anything like that. Okay, it's the third point because it's the reality of it. It's not a matter of just the exercise of prayer or the fact of who I'm praying with, it's who I'm praying to of who I'm seeking. This is the, the blessing that we have to be able to meet our God as our Father who desires to bestow upon us good gifts. Jesus even said, if, if we as human fathers can give our children good gifts, well, how much more will our heavenly Father give us that which is good? We have to understand that he wants to bestow upon us. Now look, when you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and we look at how the Holy Spirit will come upon us and that he'll give us power, but he gives us power for a specific reason. Does anyone know what that reason is? Somebody yell it out. Do you know? To be his witnesses. We're not given power for power's sake. 
We're not given power to walk around and go, hey, I'm powerful. It's not that. We're given power to be his witnesses. And that same principle applies when we look at his involvement with us. We read how Paul, as he seeks to fulfill his call as an ambassador for Christ, sharing the gospel and praying for deliverance, we then read this, that the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Here are the steps that our loving father takes to provide the means to endure the difficulties we encounter by providing the insight of his greater workings in each of our lives. D.L. Moody once again said this, don't pray for an easy life. Pray that God will give you the strength to overcome any struggles you encounter. See, our growth doesn't come from being removed from things. Our growth comes from the resistance we encounter. Our dependence comes when we have to depend. Our trust comes when we have to trust, which means we have to put ourselves in situations where we can do nothing else but rely on him. And then we see God work. But there are practical steps we can take. Practical steps we can take in regard our strengthening. See, this is what God has provided for us for our strengthening. Here's one. Strengthening in the word. To have the word written on our hearts that we might not sit against them, as, as Psalm 119.11 says. The word that's a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Psalm 119.105. A.W. A. W. Tozer said this. The word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less, get this, nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. I want to read that last part again. Nothing less than the whole Bible can make a whole Christian. That's why the strengthening in the word is so important. That is God's faithful provision for us as his people. So we must be strong in the word. We must be strong in the spirit to walk in the spirit so that we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. Because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8.2. That we are not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled or to be controlled with the spirit, Ephesians 5.18. I like this other quote, another quote. Watchman Nee, put very simply, Satan's power in the world is everywhere. Yet wherever men and women walk in the spirit, sensitive to the anointing they have from God, that power just evaporates. Let God but occupy all the space himself and what room is left for the evil one. That makes sense. So we've got strengthening in the word, strengthening in the spirit, strengthening in faith. This is doing the exercising of what we know is believed and lived out. When my faith is demonstrated by my works, as it says in James 2.18, a faith that overcomes the world, 1 John 5.4, is a faith that pleases God, Hebrews 11.6. Because our faith is not, uh, because our faith is in him, not in ourselves. Last one, last quote, George Mueller, man of prayer. To learn strong faith is to endure great trials. I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testings. That's how faith grows. 
and being strengthened in such ways in the word and spirit and faith, we become people who experience being strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And what I think is implied here with the increased confidence and assurance in God is because God does what he says he will do. If you just read in verse four, it says this. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command, which is why Paul closes this text with, this is about the only part that could be considered a prayer. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. It's a prayer that speaks to each of our hearts in like manner, that our hearts will be directed into God's love and Christ's perseverance by looking at, by meditating on, and understanding clearly the provisions that he has made for us. To understand those provisions through his people, the inheritance of the saints that Jesus has qualified us for. The inheritance of the saints that John looked at from Ephesians chapter one, that through faith in him, that is granted to us the, the richness of that inheritance through our fellowship with one another. The provision, and I want you to look around. Look around at the people around you here. When you see a brother and sister, like how Ben's doing it, Ben's like this. But the reality, sorry, because no one else was looking. You're the only one looking, Ben. But the thing is this. When you look around and you see your brothers and sisters that are in this room, if you look in your family that is there with you, if you're looking at people that are around, in the church, that is God's provision for you. That is God's blessing to you. That is God's comfort to you. When you look around, I look around, I see all you here, brothers and sisters, and I've experienced that even, even just recently. Brothers and sisters messaging me. Brothers and sisters praying for me. Brothers and sisters calling me. And I experienced from you God's provision of comfort, of love, of encouragement, of encouragement, not encouragement, no such word, of encouragement. That is God's provision. That's what you have to understand. That we look at, meditate upon, and understand clearly the provision God has made for us through the fact that we can pray together, unified. That we can pray in the same way. We can pray for the same goal. We can pray to bless each other. We can pray because we look at fulfilling our purpose that God has us for, to shine as a light to a world that's full of darkness. That we can pray that that be fulfilled that we can understand that and that we can look at and meditate upon and understand clearly the provision God has made for us through his very presence. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? He makes us to stand. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And that when the day of evil comes, we are able to stand our ground that after everything that has been done, we are able to stand, according, according to Ephesians 6, verse 13. This is the faithfulness of God's provision for you, found in each other, found in our unified prayer, and found in the presence of our Heavenly Father. If we could look at, if we can understand clearly if we can meditate upon such things that'll go from here to here and then lived out there. That that would be a reality in our lives as a church and as individuals for the glory of God and for the promotion 
of the gospel. So with that, brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these 21 days. We thank you so much that you were able to work in each of our hearts to some extent, and I pray you will stir within each of us the desire to continue to be a people of prayer, to seek you, to seek your heart, to seek your mind, to seek your glory. And I ask that today that these lessons that have been shared from your word will not be soon forgotten, but rather we would see the fullness of your provision that you have given to us in each other, in the privilege we have to pray together, and in the honor of being called your son and your daughter by your very presence, we thank you. We ask for you to dismiss us now and that as we go from here, you would make big changes in each of our hearts that you would reveal yourself in such a way that we cannot but help but be obedient to your word and, and fall more in love with you. Father, we need you to do this. Please change us from the inside out. Please have your way for your glory. May the Lord Jesus Christ direct our hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance for the extending of your kingdom, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.